Lisa Doxed, the podcast. Would you, would you touch my body? Would you come up and grab one of my breasts? Seriously, same to Jubilee. Would, would one of you just come up and take my breast out of my shirt and pl- fondle it? I'm actually like super excited about this episode. Once again, it's going to be a dark one, but Scorpio vibes. It's dark all the time and I love we're it. Right, we're, in the, we're in the deep dark, but again, <laughs> we're, going, we're, we're going through. We're almost to the other side, I think. Yeah, and, I think we're definitely almost to the other side. Yeah. And yeah, trigger warning, because there's going to be talk of essay and rape and other very violent things in this in this conversation but it's important it's a relevant theme to what's going on and also it is dark but i'm i'm relieved because the eerie police told Allie to stop harassing Carrie Ann and her family i feel like a big reason that we kept talking about this after we dropped our initial episodes was because Allie had escalated to a point where people were in danger of being seriously harmed in real life like calling universities and businesses leaving bad reviews really sucks of a person and is defamatory Mm -hmm. but things like gang stalking and like lying to the police about what jubilee is doing when she when jubilee is simply making content and whatever ali is saying to the police is apparently grounds for a cps call i would call that lying to the police that kind of thing puts people in imminent danger in a different way i think but i think like (laughs) frankly we defamed we what do i want to say we defanged her defanged that's a a weird (laughs) word if Allie wants to rant all day and night in her own instagram about how doxed is dead forever she can do that she looks like a mess at this point and the only people that back her are just embarrassingly ignorant and Yeah. So frankly, we we took her away from her largest platforms and the police have now also told her to not contact the people she's been harassing. So I feel like as long as she listens to the police and stops and like doesn't escalate by going after some other person in a similar way, which mm-hmm. like if she does, we're going to absolutely keep calling the police about that. Are you kidding? Of course we would. So don't do that. And if she just wants to go on her own page and talk about whatever, we're finally, I think that's a fine place to to just move on. And like, obviously Doxed, the podcast is going to continue. We're going to keep talking about broader issues around doxing and cybercrime because it seems to me like everything going on right now is related to this. And there's more and more stories every day of people getting doxed, like big deal people getting doxed and huge things going down with the laws there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Doxed is dead every Wednesday night at midnight, Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> yeah. Super. Definitely flatlined here. <laughs> we do have a few more episodes of like tying up loose ends. I think uh, like we still want to talk about definitely white supremacy and how that played into all this. But, you know, in, in the docs, the podcast is dead kind of language coming from Allie. Because she said it like several times now. Doxed is dead. Doxed is flatline. No more ever again. I think that's like Allie projection. She's been saying it since launch week. That's true. She was saying we were down off of different platforms. We were not. Except for TikTok is just, uh, I think we're both kind of tired of TikTok in in terms of like trying to advertise this there. It's just not, 
it's not worth it. It feels like, but anyway, honestly, we haven't needed it. TikTok has not been a benefit to us at all, really. No, and and we have plenty of an audience. YouTube is doing well, mm-hmm. um, and so are other platforms. But anyway, I think what I think what that language is is her just realizing that her tantrum is not working and that she wants to be done. And good, let's all move on because I feel like we're in a you know, as long as she's not going to continue to escalate and continue to try to extort people, et cetera, fine, let's move on. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. fine with us. But I think for this episode, we want to address some of the disturbing language that Ali has been increasingly using in the last few weeks, especially where she continually likens what is happening to murder and rape. And Ooh, should we play that clip of her being absolutely disgusting? Yes, we can. Let's play some proud echidna clips. This is a new. We stand proud echidna. (laughs) It sprang up kind of recently. It's it's been doing like highlight reels and compilations, so that you don't have to watch five hours of alley content to understand to find uh, the specific things she's saying that actually are relevant. So yeah, we could pull that up. Hold on, let me find it. Protect proud echidna at all costs. Let's see. There's actually two of these clips about the the violent fantasies. Which one should should we do both or should we just do one? Uh definitely both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're both relevant. Okay. Hold on. There's a little bird's nest right above my bedroom window. So now my room is super tweety now we both share the tweetiness yeah my there's like a vine on a wall you can see it in some of my tiktoks I sit out on my roof behind my house and there's like a condo next to me that like is taller and further back than my house so there's like this vine that grows on it and there's several bird nests in the vine and so sometimes it's like a, a nice kind of naturey bird sounds and sometimes it's like aggressive levels of tweeting and you've mentioned this several times when we were on the phone. <laughs> yeah, whenever we're on the phone and you're like on a walk or something, I'm like, God, you sound like a Disney princess right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just surrounding me at all times. It is. Okay, here's the here's the first one, which is kind of, I think, a more general one. Allie's behavior is disgusting, and putting her in a psych ward as opposed to a prison would be merciful at this point. She's been projecting her own fantasies of raping and murdering others onto this situation. And every time she says, I would never do that. She soon escalates to doing it. But to say that I have fantasies of raping and murdering people, like, you just buried yourself. Not that you already had it, but you just absolutely fucking buried yourself. And you guys tried to kill and silence one person. You're going to crawl through that fucking window and stab me in the middle of the night. You are going to come into my house in the middle of the night and stab me. I'm like actually leaving the internet partly because I'm scared that these people are going to kill me. She's a psychopath that hurts people for sport, Brian. I hate Carrie Ann with every fiber of my being. They fucked me sideways, dude. They're still fucking me sideways and I'm not going to be blind blamed if something happens to jubilee i'm not gonna be blamed get bent bitch you wanted this you wanted this carrie the most loving thing for me to do is to give you some <laughs> carrie Ann, you wanted this this is what i can't get over carrie Ann wants this wanted it like fuck they're hexing me right now y'all that felt that felt like it was a it was 
it was a spiritual jab from somewhere. But you're gonna lose something over this, Carrie Ann. This makes you a fucking monster. You are the worst, most vile, most disgusting woman. You're a monster, Carrie Ann. You're a broken little girl who is causing a lot of bloodshed. You're a fucking monster. And if you're willing to actually treat another woman like that, Carrie Ann, like you can get absolutely fucked, bitch. Get bent, bitch. And it's dangerous to expose narcissists like this because they want you dead, but fuck you, Carrie Ann. Your kids are in actual danger. I tell you, you're hurting me. Would you, would you touch my body? Would you come up and grab one of my breasts? Seriously, same to Jubilee. Would, would one of you just come up and take my breast out of my shirt and fondle it? Would you walk up and just stick your fucking hands down my pants and you wanted this? You don't care if I die. The way I would love to put my hand through the screen right now. And I said, when I say fuck you, I mean it. <laughs> and she goes, get help, Allie. You absolute swine. I said, it breaks my heart that people like you, ex like, like people like you exist. Fucking bitch. We were on the phone. I was so mad at her. That's called reactive abuse. I might smash in my car door windows before I go to Best Buy. <laughs> Not mine. No, mine are the, I, does anybody know where Carrie Ann, <laughs> but damn, if anybody wants to handle this all old school style and go to Lansing, Michigan with me, <laughs> I've thought about it. I've thought about a lot of things that I would never do because I'm a good citizen. <laughs> Carrie Ann wants me. You guys can put your life, your freedom, your businesses, everything at risk, which you already have. We can, we can, this can turn into an absolute bloodbath if that's what you guys want. I'm scared Jubilee is just going to fall over dead. I'm very scared for Jubilee. Get fucked, Jubilee. Like, seriously. I mean, you can sit there and do that all summer if you want, Jubilee. You are going to, like, it's not going to... I don't want something to happen to her. Don't you want to be known, Barry Boo? <laughs> what do you, when should we have our first business meeting? <laughs> She's a broken, trembling little girl who has to have control over everyone. You guys gutted my life open, ripped it apart. You, you don't want the same done to you? I get impulsive sometimes. Yeah. Have I also had the absolute shit beat out of me? And it's, uh, that's also like reactive abuse. You poured out my guts. You laid them out on the table. So get bent, bitches. All right. It's so much. That's literally just four minutes and it feels like a million years. Um, that was only four minutes? Jesus. Four minutes long. And yeah, that was like a compilation of just uh, general, uh, like a few different lives, I guess. But the second one is like infinitely worse. The, the little pantomiming part, like definitely. The pantomiming bad. part is horrifying. Horrifying to watch her. And she all acts like uh, the thing she read at the beginning of that last clip was a comment I made. And she's all like, docs is canceled forever because you said that. Well, I said it because I'm I'm observing what you're doing. She trigger warninged it, but she didn't trigger warning when she said that Jubilee was raping her reputation and then pantomimed in like uh, uh, doing an impression of Jubilee raping her this is this is very disturbing very disturbing it's and it so is disgusting and it's not because of jubilee is making content that is not equivalent i mean it's just so much to unpack it's just horrible and then the other thing was she was so mad because she was like well i had a uh, trauma as a child so that is very sad and i would never wish that on anybody but it does not absolve you of your choices as an adult.
And I was saying earlier, pedophiles are often victims of sexual violence as children themselves. It does not excuse them from the consequences of hurting other people. And also, statistically, without speaking for anyone in particular, she is almost definitely not the only one involved in this who experienced something like that as a child. So when she really very literally likens people to making content about her to rape, she does not have any idea about the histories of those people that she is saying that about. It is just the utmost hypocrisy. Shall we sit through this other, this second one now? Yeah. I control you guys and saying that I would murder people. Like, get the fuck out of here. When, when is this going to be enough? Would you like to come to my house and kick the living shit out of me? And if you guys kill me, there are so many, you're going to end up in prison. For real. At this point, I think Carrie Ann's blind rage is at that point. I think Carrie Ann would literally kill me. It's scary. I'm scared for my life. And that's exactly why also the police are investigating this. It's scary as fuck to me. You guys have put me in the worst position. I'm not threatening you, Carrie Ann. You need to give me my shit back. You need to make the right choice. This isn't just internet drama, you fucking swine. And I have no empathy for you anymore. You seriously want me to have empathy for you or not do the same thing back? What? That's what you wanted. You wanted to break someone or kill someone. What are you gonna do? Kill me, bitch? You guys are all pissed because your little plan to fucking kill someone didn't fucking really pan out, did it? This is Carrie Ann's wet dream. You guys are setting me up for a complete narcissistic abuse cycle and you're setting me up to blame me for the rest of my life for something happening to Jubilee. I want to say very clearly that I don't want anything to happen to Jubilee. This is so scary. I don't have a choice. And when I get quiet on the internet, shit's going to get really crazy because I'm going to be 10 times more effective and focused. And you lost the moment that you gave your life over to me and the moment that you decided to like seriously hurt someone for sport. You're a loser for that. You're a loser for lying. You're a loser for thinking you're above the law. What a narcissistic thing to do. That is what narcissists do. They drive recklessly. They believe they're above the law. They do grandiose things. They don't think that anybody else ex exists except for them. But at some point it's gonna happen. Whether you guys are mature enough to decide to, to put it down or it it's put down for you <laughs> you guys are going to rue the day is that the saying you guys are going to rue the day what are you doing jubilee are you like are you trying to threaten me at this point are you acting like you're like it's like she's like <sighs> yeah that's the scariest part of this. All of you, you don't care. Your blind hate towards me is more important than anything in your life, which makes me feel like even more, you are a scary person. You don't care what happens to you. And I need to make a full blown fucking report. Are you going to come to my house and touch my body? Would you come up and, 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 and grab my body and touch my body part? Like, you, my life isn't yours, Jubilee. And you all are headed for a really weird, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but you're not going to do this to me forever. You're not going to do this to the people that support me forever. And at some point, you're going to be stopped. You put people in terrible positions. Fuck you, Jubilee. And they're going to say, oh, Allie's so horrible for saying that. No, I'm just the fucking truth. And you've put me in this position. Wake the fuck up. You're going to get someone killed. You want me dead. You have bullied me to a fucking pulp. You have lied to everyone. You are a sadistic bitch. And if you don't know it, if you can't see your own lies, you need to be fucking locked up. You are going to cause someone to kill themselves. And the second I get into Canada, you are fucked. Not physically. I'm saying like you are fucked. And I will make sure of that. Legally speaking. I will fucking 
ruin both of you. And you created a situation where I had to talk about you, you psycho cunt. Fucking rot, bitches. We're going to have to cut some of that down because it's just honestly... I lit a candle before we started because I was like, I want to keep it loving. <laughs> and so I got a pink candle out and it's going and uh, we need some love energy because that is so hard to sit through. And even here, it's so violent and aggressive. And yeah. Uh, it's not it's it's a for her to say how dare you say i have violent fantasies and then she proceeds to very colorfully describe her violent fantasies in the next second well she also says she says multiple times that we all hate her which nobody says no none of us say no none of us really we're not hateful people she says that we hate her and then she also says i hate carrie ann with every fiber of my being that's projection Mm -hmm. none of us that's not an energy coming from us like the whole spiel she did about coming into her house beating up both her parents kicking her cats stealing her food like what that was so ridiculous and like she constantly references penetration Mm -hmm. like saying jubilee's gonna stab her saying that thing about like a spiritual jab and she makes this like jabbing motion with her hand violent aggressive motions she has like a weird relationship with her own masculine energy she cosplays men who abuse their authority all Mm -hmm. the time and it's not a joke you could almost pass it off as a joke i guess except for in addition to dressing up like a cop all the time and trying to police an entire corner of tiktok Mm -hmm. she was excited to report that the cops liked her, which I think, no, I think they were probably being polite and probably, you know, it sounds like her, it sounds like her dad is a good old boy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about that in the white supremacy episode. But in the meantime, she was so excited that the cops liked her, like the most pick me of all. That's, that's a weird that's desire. After months of dragging me through the mud because I said I had never been arrested. And somehow that turned into me being anti-black or whatever the fuck. She said you were, she, she said you love the police state. <laughs> yeah, she said I was the establishment and I was the police state and that I love the police and all that bullshit. And that was terrible and awful. But also now she's besties with the police and like, that's cool. She's so happy that the police liked her. So, yeah, there's like a weird there's a weird like desire to either be or be picked by men who abuse their authority any man any man at all and and try to dominate there's this weird compulsion for domination that is not ours mm-hmm. ali needs to wear that that is not something she can transfer onto us through projection this language is disgusting it was inappropriate the and it was horribly, horribly triggering. Yeah. And the hypocrisy of her trigger warninging, trigger warninging, the comments <laughs> I made, but not, but literally the, the, the pantomime, the pantomime. And the look in her eye when she's doing it, it's just, it's so. Ooh. Dark eyes. 
And she's done it before. I remember that she's done it before, but it was more in the context of like dancing to the music. She's also done a lot of the finger guns. She's continued to do that. And like, sure, you're, you're, you know, doing a finger gun dance and it doesn't mean a real gun. Still weirdly aggressive and violent. Weird to even think about that a lot. And then people in her comments just cheering her on, gassing her up while she does this. Like, y'all are fucking disgusting. Yeah. Well, the only people, the people that, that are behind her are people where if you often, if you poke them for like four or five seconds, if you look into them, you realize that they're like a Trump supporter or they're a hardcore Christian is most, or they're, or they're just people that are, that are the exact thing that she goes off against the exact uh people that she the exact kind of traits she makes fun of in us yeah like they're either a love and light girly (laughs) or a crystal girly (laughs) selling tarot things or selling crystals or they're like a a blonde hardcore christian yeah or they're super racist Mm. um that's who's left over there i mean really well after i saw those two clips on youtube which there was just no fucking way I was watching her actual content. I don't consume her content directly because why? Why would I give her a view? It's it's um, so exhausting. She was going off at Jubilee for doing multiple hour lives. Jubilee does like two hours max a day. She did like seven hours of lives on June 2nd or whatever that one day was. Like plus Instagram. Plus Instagram. Oh my God. I didn't even like look at the, uh, you can't even like it's, and I did feel after I, after I looked at some of that content, I did start to feel a shift in my own feeling about the whole thing. Cause it's just like, I can't even, it's pointless. And, and, and it's saying nothing. Like there was that one video where she was saying she had all these receipts. The only receipt was a video where I was having fun making a TikTok video. And she's like, see, does that look like someone who's abused? Meanwhile, she's calling Carrie Ann's mother crying about how she almost killed herself and does Carrie Ann's mother care? And then she's playing that phone call back and laughing her ass off. Mm-hmm. Why are you laughing as you yourself describe how you almost killed yourself in a crying voice? Very disturbing, very disjointed. Very histrionic. And I'll, I've said it a bunch of times and I'll say it again. There was never never a suicide attempt that made it to Instagram. Like, I feel like someone tried to spin that into drama to manipulate everyone else in the situation. I feel like Allie in that video, the infamous video, bathtub video, was just out of her mind on whatever substance she was on at the time, speculation allegedly, supposedly covering my ass. And when she heard people were worried about her, suddenly it was a suicide attempt suddenly it was i i was going to take my own life how dare you guys talk about me she's an opportunist she's histrionic and she's a fucking demon and all this talk about rape and get fucked get bent all this talk about like touching her body that was so fucking triggering to see And I know she's an idiot and she doesn't really take herself that seriously when she's talking like that. She's trying to appeal to people's emotions and trying to be like a shock jock, I guess. But it was it was horribly triggering to me. And I know I'm not the only woman in this situation, in any situation, really, 
I feel like it's what one out of three women have been sexually assaulted or raped at some point in their life. I, I think I saw a study where um, a group of women were asked, when was the first time you were sexualized? And almost all of them said some age under the age of 11. So I'm not I'm not trying to be super precious about it. I know I'm not the only one, but it was incredibly triggering to me to see that. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's very uh it's an effort to engage people emotionally, but they're ultimately really shallow emotions on her part apparently based on how she reacts to her own, you know, recorded phone calls and things like that. It's very disturbing to see the disjointedness. And I really can't speak to like whether what happened to her that night, but all I know is that it's extremely hypocritical to say anything negative about the the idea that we called a wellness check while in the same breath saying, I almost killed myself. Then I guess that was really good that we called for a wellness check. I'm happy that we did that. And yeah. y'all aren't the only ones that called. Her own friends called too. Yeah, they're so, not getting any heat. They're not getting any heat for yeah. sending that welfare check to her. Only the people she doesn't like who gave a shit about her are getting all that heat. Yeah. I'm also disturbed that she's even aware of who called the wellness check uh, because I don't know whether that was a failing of the police or somebody just ma uh, made a good guess based on the context, but that's information that... <laughs> Uh, she shouldn't have known either way. The point is she herself said that she was in trouble that night. So who cares who called if you're okay, good, great. That was the, that was the idea. Yeah. I feel like there is something really toxically masculine about Allie in, like you say, how she has this like this unquenchable thirst to dominate everyone around her. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely feeds into this like toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity culture and rape culture, not saying that what she's doing is akin to rape. Like she's trying to say about us, like, I don't want to conflate the two things. Um, but it is a part of that whole patriarchal, toxic masculinity rape culture thing and all of that directly negatively impacts specifically autistic women and as someone who likes to cosplay as an autist um i you would think that she would be very aware of how that kind of culture directly impacts autistic women yeah and to be more sensitive to the idea that all of us are pretty much most of us are all of us are autistic in this situation. It's like, it's, it's so hypocritical, but I, I mean, I think you were, you were kind of educating cause I didn't even realize that that was statistically the case. It makes sense. That when I first made my, my TikTok, my, my podcast, TikTok, my unhinged and dysregulated one, mm -hmm. one of the first pieces of content that I made on there I think it was like maybe the third or fourth TikTok that I made and it went like kind of viral and it was me talking about those studies about how nine out of 10 autistic women have been raped or sexually assaulted in some way. And 
this is like not long after I got diagnosed myself and I was in that kind of dark phase of late diagnosis when you start to reprocess all of your trauma you start to look back at every confusing situation that's ever happened in your life where you couldn't make sense of it you didn't know why it happened you didn't know why no one liked you you didn't know why you're so misunderstood and it's like oh autism 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 like that phase can last a really long time for people that are late diagnosed autistic but (laughs) yeah one of the one of the deep dark rabbit holes I went down was sexual assault and rape and for me I don't want to get too long-winded about this but for me my whole life I have I don't want to say struggled but have been really confused about my own sexuality my attraction to certain people it's all been very confusing and complicated for me and I used to just attribute it to toxic purity culture and growing up in that now I know better I know it was that plus being high masking autistic and it kind of, it really fucked me up growing up it really did not understanding how the world really viewed me as a woman how not really understanding what I was supposed to be in this society and just like masking my way through absolutely everything and growing up in the church you're kind of taught especially like in evangelical christianity i grew up seventh day adventist which is also very culty and very strict you're taught that as a woman your body is wrong it's sinful it causes men to do sinful things you have to control how a man views you by how you choose to move through the world and if you cause a man to do something sinful to you it is your fault if you cause a man to feel any kind of lust towards you it is your fault so you have to mitigate the thoughts of every man around you in the church and if you fail at that you're some kind of like horrible Jezebel so I grew up believing that about myself believing that that the shape of my body was sinful and that was something I couldn't control. I'm a big chested girl. I've been that since I was about eight years old. Puberty hit me. I didn't hit puberty. Puberty hit the shit out of me. I've always been curvy and I've always had to manage my body around men and boys in the church. And I always believed that that was my responsibility. That was my burden to carry. And if I was sexualized in any way, I felt a lot of guilt about that because I believed that it was my fault. So then as an older teen, leaving the church, but not really shedding that toxic purity culture shit that I carried around, I kind of struggled with my own sexuality and like understanding how I even felt about sex, how I even felt about like sexual chemistry and relationships with men or women or even like going down the road of like exploring that at all, even though I had those feelings. Um, this is like so hard to talk about. These are, these are things I just don't say out loud. Cause it's like so confusing to me still at 36. It's so confusing to me still. Uh, so leaving the church and not having 
those things drilled into my brain all the time, but also not deconstructing any of it because I didn't even know deconstruction was a thing. I felt like I had to mask in this whole other way around men in like the secular world and having so much more freedom and not being in this like rigid religious like structured kind of thing all the time Uh, how do I explain this it's not like I went through this like wild phase or anything but it felt wild because I had no structure I had no one really telling me what to do when it came to my body and where to go and who to hang out with and how to dress and how long to stay out and who to talk to. I didn't have that anymore because I I walked away from the church. And when you grow up in a church like that and that like really toxic purity culture, you're not taught consent. You're not taught about bodily autonomy. You're taught that men are everything. Men are your provider, your protector. You compete with every woman around you to get a man because your goal in life is to get a man and you're nothing unless you have a man. I didn't deconstruct any of that when I left the church. And when you don't know about consent, when you don't know about bodily autonomy, and also when you're autistic and you don't really understand social cues and you're prone to just masking to get through social situations, um, I feel like you also mask in sexual situations too. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's like, it's a thing. If you're masking to survive in every situation, like chances are until you deconstruct a lot of things, until you understand that you're autistic, if you are, like it makes sense that you're going to mask in your romantic relationships. You're going to mask in sexual situations. Yeah. That was true for me. Absolutely. And so... I didn't sleep around a ton as like an older teen, early 20s, because it it was sinful and bad. And I didn't quite understand how it was all supposed to work and how I was supposed to feel. I just knew that sex was for marriage. And if a guy likes you and wants to have sex with you, then he probably wants to marry you. (laughs) He probably really likes you if he wants to have sex with you. He probably really gives a shit about you. Like, absolutely not. Learn that the hard way. So with having Matt, I think I lost my virginity when I was like 19, 19 or 20, which is it's, it's considered kind of late-ish, I guess, hmm. 19 or 20. I don't know. It felt late for me because all my friends were fucking in high school. I was <laughs> not. <laughs> I was absolutely not. Hmm. Um, but from that first experience, uh, that was my first boyfriend. And he flirted with me for a couple of weeks, asked me to be his girlfriend. The next day, uh, I lost my virginity to him. And then the following weekend, he broke up with me and had a new girlfriend. Uh, so that was absolutely traumatizing for me. Yeah. Absol- like devastating for me because I'm like, I did this thing that I'm not supposed to do because this person is not my husband. Uh, so that's like already scarlet letter on my forehead. <laughs> And then now he's just gone. And now he has a whole other girlfriend and I'm, and he's just gone now. And I gave this part of myself away that I was supposed to save for the person that was supposed to be with me for the rest of my life. And I fucked that up. Like I beat myself up so bad for that. And then I just saw myself as just like trash. I'm just garbage. I'm just used up. I'm just, I'm a whore now. <laughs> After having sex one time 
with one guy i was like i'm such a whore no one's ever gonna marry me so i carried that around for like a decade like that guilt stuck with me for like a decade but even in that first experience with this boy i thought i was so in love with um i was masking through that because i didn't know how to be i had no deep sense of self i had toxic purity culture and autism which i didn't know i was just not being myself in any situation I was masking through it all and one thing that i'm that i've been learning recently like reprocessing a lot of trauma um figuring out my my sexual identity and what i even like and what i'm even attracted to I masked my way through my first several, if not all of my sexual experiences. And one thing I didn't realize I was doing until recently is that not only do I mask during sex, I dissociate during sex almost every single time with every partner. And I don't have any like deep sexual childhood trauma. Like I think I've been pretty lucky with that. I think it's just like, I don't think it's a childhood sexual trauma thing as much as it's just like an autism trauma thing and like a church trauma thing. And like a patriarchy trauma thing. Yeah. It's definitely like, a. it definitely has to do, I'm sure with compet, like compulsory heterosexuality and just the mm-hmm. idea that there's no other, there isn't another choice. That's being. Yeah. It feels like. I feel like when I was younger, when it came to men, I felt like obligated to have sex because my worth was wrapped up in it. Because when you grow up in the church, you're taught that everything, your worth as a woman is wrapped up in your physical body and how desirable you are to the most like righteous man, basically. And yeah, my, my, my worth as a woman was just like wrapped up in all the wrong places. And so I was never taught, like, you're not taught to enjoy sex. You're not even hardly taught what sex is when you grow up in the church. You're just taught to be this, like, virginal, virtuous picture of innocence until your wedding night. And then you're supposed to flip a switch and be the exact opposite behind closed doors, you know, with your husband. And... I think what was what's been really difficult for me to process is I've never really experienced being present during sex because I leave my body. And I think I leave my body because I still carry toxic purity culture shame during sex the way cishet men uh How do I explain this? In the dating scene, like I'll I'll go on the apps, I'll swipe, I'll match, I'll talk to someone, I'll meet them for a date. I know what they want. They make it very neurotypically clear what they want with all their like unspoken bullshit. Mm -hmm. And when I get that feeling of like they want to have sex with me, it makes me feel gross but then I feel obligated to do it. At least that's how it was for me in my early 20s. Like, I have to be with some man. I have to get married. I have to be a wife and have kids. 
and this person is interested in me, I'm just going to white knuckle my way through it. And hopefully they'll want to like date me kind of thing. I feel like that was a good chunk of my early 20s. Oh, which is so gross to say out loud, but I know, I know I'm not the only one. No, not at all. The only one. It's a huge amount of social pressure because it's all about being, being objectified and treated like an object. And so then your worth does just become like, there's no inherent worth for you as a subject anymore, or that's what every, everything external is telling you. And that's also what everything external is telling the man you're on a date with. Yeah, it can result in like aggression because then they feel entitled often to, and even when they don't think that they do, like the whole like nice guy issue, the whole like friend zoning issue, Mm -hmm. all of that is men thinking that they inherently are something or inherently deserve something. And, And really just, it's all, it's all about not seeing you as a real person. Mm-hmm. And just sort I didn't of, even see myself as a real person for a long time. Well, exactly, you're trained not to. It's a totally unrealistic expectation what they set you up for in a marriage, and there's a reason that people liken it to. It's like you know, women are like in, enslaved by their husbands under the patriarchy in a sense. Mm-hmm. And you're also you're not you're we're kind of socialized in the church to not see sex as something pleasurable like it's not supposed to be something a woman is supposed to enjoy I guess because that's sinful and so in my sexual experiences dissociating masking faking it faking it a lot I thought that was normal to not necessarily enjoy it so when I would talk to my girlfriends about how great sex was for them and like how in love they are with their boyfriends and how amazing it is and like orgasm at the same time it's so great I'm like what wait you actually do that (laughs) like it just seemed so foreign to me to actually enjoy it are you tired of feeling unsafe online do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying doxing and other forms of online harassment then look no further than doxed the podcast visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. When I had so many experiences that I didn't even remember, not because I was drunk, not because I was on anything, but because I literally, I left my body and I was just not present during. So then that brings me to me kind of coming to this stage in like my mid 20s when I started to let go of toxic purity culture I still wasn't deconstructing anything but just allowing myself to just be more sexually free and be more selective and put myself out there a little bit more and go after the men I felt like I was actually attracted to which still was 
still questionable. I still don't know what I'm fucking attracted to <laughs> all these years later. But then I would go for these guys that I like actually desired. And like, that's a whole other thing. When you, when you're the one that goes for the guy that creates this whole other weird, icky fucking dynamic. And my repeated experience in that phase of my life was me taking the first step towards someone I was attracted to them being like flattered by it or kind of taken aback by it and just kind of milking the situation for what they could get and then also kind of dipping out afterwards which was also traumatizing in its own way because I felt like in some way I was taking a little bit of my power back by being the one to make the first move, take the first step, be a little more assertive. I felt like I, like I was in control a little bit more of my desires and my feelings, what I wanted, what my goals were, but it still hurt in the end because I still couldn't figure men out. I don't know. I feel like at that time I was taking my power back a little bit more, but the outcome that I had in the back of my mind was still wrapped up in like this toxic purity culture bullshit. Like if I do A plus B, then I'll get the guy. No, no, I won't. <laughs> it's still a no. <laughs> I didn't understand the the game. I didn't understand the whole dating game. I thought, well, if I like you and you like me, then we'll just be a thing. And that rarely, rarely was the case. I still don't understand the dating game. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm and I I've mostly dated uh I've mostly dated people that I suspect were uh, slash are autistic. And so I think my experience was a little bit different, but I think that's just because I was really only able to get into relationships with other autistic people for the most part because I so did not understand that game and didn't play it. <laughs> and so anybody mm -hmm. that was like anybody that couldn't deal with me just being like annoyingly smarter than them or like you know like mm -hmm. <laughs> they were they were not having it and plus I was not like if we're all objects I I had low value in that in that sense because I was just not um I don't know I was very separated from my sensuality I was just a ball of nerves and I was not uh I I was very overweight and I was not like um I wouldn't I, I don't mean that I was not attractive because I was overweight I just it's part of what the whole way that I carried myself was just like uh I had no confidence I had no self-love and so, yeah, the the people that were going to date me were not people that were like able to, and I was just not like mentally well either. I was really struggling with like very serious depression for a long time. <laughs> so there, I didn't really, I couldn't go into a relationship and pretend to be like a Barbie doll for somebody. I couldn't go in and even mask because again, I just kind of wore it on myself. So the people I ended up in relationships with were people that were not uh that were not objectifying me i think for the most part and that's interesting in itself but uh mm -hmm. yeah but i don't know but i still i also don't i feel like i've had to do a lot of deconstruction i also was kind of late to realize that i was queer and that also had to do with 
autism, I think, because I didn't understand, I thought in black and white so much and didn't really understand what attraction could be beyond, you know, a set definition or what sex could be or what a relationship could look like. There was zero representation of queer relationships. So I was like, that didn't even cross my mind in a way. Mm-hmm. And then later I was like, oh, that's like a, that's like a whole option. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. I, around men in like most of my adulthood, I was absolutely not myself. Like you talk about how you were pretty much unmasked dating or dating other autistic people or felt like maybe you were necessarily like much smarter than them. And I was the exact opposite. I did not show myself to men in on any deep level and like a lot they don't really care they don't really ask the kind of men that were attracted to me like I led with sensuality because I felt like that's all I was worth I didn't have deep conversations with men they if I tried to they didn't listen to me anyway and it like it seemed to kind of lower my value with them if I showed that I had a brain or passions or interests about anything so I just never showed any of that like of course they of course it wouldn't last of course they eventually move on because not only did they not know me, they didn't have to, it wasn't a requirement for them to know me. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I was necessarily fully unmasked with everybody I dated even. And like that we weren't necessarily unmasked with each other, which is kind of interesting too. like two autistic people playing at allistic and allistic relationship in some cases. Mm -hmm. But, um, But I definitely did like one of my biggest, I think, requirements for dating somebody long-term was always that we would have to be able to like they would have to be constantly engaging to me on intellectual level I could not stand to spend all my time with somebody if we were not like talking about deep things all the time and so that was what I always I led with that and frankly if we're getting if we're having some serious talk about (laughs) sexual histories I led with sex because I, I had a deep fear of being rejected by somebody after falling in love with them because I waited to show them my body. And I had a deep fear of them seeing my body for the first time after I had become, after I had felt safe with them and them rejecting me because of my body. So what I would do is I would put out on the first date. Pretty much, even if I, it had nothing to do with whether I even liked the guy. And this was also like a little later for, I think I also, I honestly don't remember when I lost my virginity. It might've been around 1920. Um, and I, it, it was basically just a first pass. Can we even hang? Can I even begin to mm. care about you? Mm-hmm. Let's just get this out of the way. And unfortunately that would confuse people because, and I didn't know, I didn't get it. Like I didn't understand the social rules. So I would just like do that and then be like, well, you know, that was decent and you didn't totally reject me. And so now let's get into like a relationship or something. And then I would actually care. But then sometimes it would be like people like guys will always react with this weird, like as if they're the center of your universe. So they'll suddenly get all weird. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. you about me too much. No, I promise I don't. It really was not about that. Um, or just, you know, people react differently, but it was almost like, 
it was almost like me gatekeeping myself intellectually instead of sexually, like the other way around. Mm -hmm. And it, and uh, yeah, and I did not really value myself very much. And I wasn't like, you know, sleeping all over. It was just sort of like how I would go about my dates. I think I would like shock people sometimes because I'd be like, yeah, why not? Let's go back to your place. And they'd be like, seriously? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, why the hell not? Like unrelated to whether I even like you at all, like honestly. And I don't know why I really was like, I think I didn't get that about myself at the time, but it was really out of a very deep fear that if I got to know somebody and then they might reject me, reject me based on how I looked. And then that was so upsetting to even think about that. I was just like, let me just avoid that completely by doing it this way. So I got into the relationships I got into. And I think part of that too was like, autistically, I'm just like, here we are at the end of the date. Would you like to sleep together? And then people are just like, you know, like the people that will operate on that level are, are more often autistic people because they're like, yes, let's just openly communicate our, our, what we want to do here. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm not playing some game. <laughs> and I think that yeah. was scary to some men. And that was like annoying or that was like, but it just got me. I was like breaking the matrix by accident there. I think just because I was like, I didn't even understand what the game was whatsoever. I was very bad at that game. So I was just like, you want to like, you want to go sleep together? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I guess I would. Okay. And then if they're like, yeah, I guess I would too. Then you're like, okay, cool. And it turns out we were all autistic. So there you <laughs> wow. I don't know. If, I don't know that like all these people were diagnosed autistic by any means, but that's my sense. <laughs> yeah. I, one thing I can say about my early 20s experience with sex is like I I never really someone not being sexually attracted to me like if they were in, if they were interested in me I understood it was because they wanted to have sex with me that's what I'm trying to say not that I was like so hot but if a guy was showing any kind of interest I knew it was sexual interest so that wasn't I didn't worry about being sexually rejected I worried about being intellectually rejected like hmm. I didn't really gatekeep my body either because I knew that I felt like that was like I had to have sex with them if I was going to hold their interest at all so that's something I did pretty early on too when I would meet a guy but showing them who I am and sharing my thoughts or opinions that's something I definitely was worried that I'd be rejected for. So I didn't share that part of myself hardly at all. And it, no one was curious about that either. <laughs> so it worked out that I never had to like, that I never got around to like emotional intimacy with a man ever. But it was just, there was so much rejection in other ways and so much heartbreak in other ways. Never sexual rejection, always emotional rejection intellectual rejection like no one wanted to know who I was no one wanted to build anything with me they kind of just wanted to have sex with me and I didn't make that part difficult for them at all and I stayed being confused about that like nearly my entire 20s like I think I fell into like the whole limerence thing for a while and what does limerence mean can you explain that it's like a obsessive crush like the feelings you develop for someone that aren't necessarily deep, 
but kind of obsessive, like a really intense crush. And it's something you develop for someone that is just out of reach that you that you know deep down you'll never have what you want with them. And it kind of fucks with your head. They become like a special interest of yours. Yeah. And they're pretty much all you can think about all day, all night. And you know you're never going to have the happy, happily ever after with them. Yeah, I've definitely had that experience with at least one person. Yeah, I've had that a lot. So experiencing like heartbreak after heartbreak, like in my mid-20s, I started to gatekeep my heart a little bit more. I stopped sleeping around. I stopped dating as much, but I was still going out with friends and stuff and still interacting with men. So that's when I started to experience men pursuing me because I wasn't just like out there making it known that I was interested in anyone. So I started to experience pursuit in a different way. I started to experience the the quote unquote nice guy a little bit more often where they make you believe that they're so different that they're not like every other guy just looking to get in your pants and dip out the next day that they're deep and emotionally intelligent and emotionally available and like oh you're so different you're so on my level like we're so compatible and they'll build this whole relationship dream they'll paint this whole relationship picture and then sleep with you and then disappear. <laughs> and that happened so many times. Enough times where it was like, it was a whole other different kind of trauma to have someone to be, how do I say this? To express to someone, hey, I'm not looking to hook up. I'm not interested in a relationship at all. I'm kind of working on myself and trying to heal from some from some shit I'm trying to grow through this phase of my life like I'm really focused on working on me so thanks but no thanks and then they pursue you and make you feel safe with them and then they learn about your trauma and then they pretend to be something that they're not just to fuck you a couple times and then disappear And I didn't understand that when someone tricks you into doing something you wouldn't do otherwise, that is a form of rape because it's not actual consent. Yeah, when it's under false pretenses. Yeah, when it's deceptive or even coercive. And... Like, I'm not trying to say every guy I've ever had sex with has raped me. Like, I'm not at all seeing that. But it's a thing. And it's a widely accepted thing that's, like, on the outskirts of rape culture, I think. That men can go into a situation with a woman knowing what her intentions are and knowing that their intentions are completely different and play the part to get what they want and then pull away from that person and not have to deal with any of the emotional repercussions, any of the trauma that that woman experiences. And that's something that the nice guy does. 
And I I wrote about this a little bit in my book, um, Neurodivergent Women, Nar- Neurodivergent Women and Narcissistic Men and like the modern dating scene. And I share a little bit of my story of this in the introduction and how in the modern dating scene, it can be so hard to to differentiate between the bad guys and the good guys once you're in the bedroom. It's really hard to tell the difference because the bad guys are like more overt about what they want from you and how they're going to get it. But the nice guy will make you feel safe until until they get what they want. And does that make him a terrible, horrible rapist liar? No. Is it illegal to lie to a woman and make her feel safe and make her feel like you actually give a shit about her just for the purpose of having sex with her? And she's probably one of a dozen that you're doing that with. Is that illegal? No. But it can be really hard to tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys when they're all kind of doing the same shit. Well, yeah. And it's about objectifying. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's about objectifying and objectivizing you and dominating you. And the reason that I know this is because I have experienced that kind of nice guy behavior, but only since I lost weight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's gross. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, I think that people did not, I, people used to not pursue me when I weighed more. People did not, uh, I guess I was not in a culture that saw me as beautiful in any way. And that's very sad because I think if I had been, if I had understood to carry myself differently and that I was not just taking up too much space constantly, the issue was not, I was ugly and I was fat. The issue was I was in a culture that was really not, that was just looking at me as having no value. And so I was, everybody I ever dated, I pursued them. And several of those guys, several, a few of those guys dated me, stopped dating me. And then we like decided to date later, but it was like, I really feel like that I was kind of like a not first choice of, of people. It was just Mm -hmm. kind of like, well, this guy, I guess this works for the situation. Nobody was ever like, I need to be with you Mm -hmm. ever. And, and that's how I know that it was all about objectifying me. And, and kind of the role I could play because I couldn't play a fantasy role for them. Mm. And I think, I think just culture celebrating different kinds of bodies can fix a lot of that and not like, it doesn't fix it to just suddenly fetishize fat bodies also. But I mean, it's just so telling about how much it is about objectifying you, turning you into a sex object. And fetishizing you. And I think that's something where we can both really relate because women just fat bodies are fetishized and black bodies are fetishized mm-hmm. and being that back burner person while they look for what they really want that sucks it sucks to be on the back burner and be sexually used whenever they're tuckered out looking for what they really want they just they know they can call you and then you'll do the thing and you'll give them what they want 
And once they're satisfied, you go back on the back burner while they pursue who and what they really want. And that's usually how it goes when you're the object of someone's fetish. And I think I feel like BIPOC people, specifically BIPOC women and people that I identify as women and people in larger bodies can relate when it comes to being fetishized. Like yeah. anyone that's on the margins of the European beauty standard or just not even at all the European beauty standard were fetishized. That's what it is. That's what I'm trying to describe as a European beauty standard as opposed to an objective beauty standard mm-hmm. being the cause of why I was experiencing that. I want to also like just give a shout out to, and I hope this, I hope that like us shouting out or mentioning people is not like a negative for them. Um, but KD Art Gallery is uh, my friend. That's the Instagram handle. And she makes art that is some of my favorite art right now. And it's like these kind of pastel color palette sketches, or I think they're like digital drawings of bodies and I can't really describe it in words it's just very they're very like soft and all different kinds of bodies and like these angles that are it's just like people just sort of freely being like okay here I am and they're very Mm -hmm. like soft and absolutely beautiful everyone that poses in any of those sketches you're just like wow but it's like I think the reason that that is so striking to me right now is because, and like, so I was at Pride, um, Philly Pride on last weekend, I think it was, yeah, it was like a week ago. And there's a lot of obviously great queer artists there. And there's like tents kind of going down a bunch of different streets that you can walk down and you can get stickers and you can get paintings and prints and, you know, whatever, all different kinds of stuff. And a lot of it I was noticing was body positive. So there were uh, a lot of different kinds of people represented, but also a lot of it is like, oh, it's like stickers of of beautiful fat women in fetish gear or something. And, and there's a beautiful space for that. That's really cool. But mm-hmm. my friend's art, KD Art Gallery, is like not fetishizing bodies. It's just like this beautiful sensual experience of like, I keep saying sensual, like, um, it just like moves, it moves me past that barrier of whatever is societally accepted. And it's just like, look at this. This is just like people and Mm -hmm. people are so beautiful. And so I'm just so into those like representations right now because it's like refreshing because Mm -hmm. there is so much of, even in body positive art, there's so much fetishization. And I guess any kind of commercialization of anything, which is what you're doing, if you're a if you're a public facing artist, is going to be some kind of fetish. Because fetishizing a fetish is when you take something that is only a part of the whole thing and you objectify it. Objectify it. Mm-hmm. So like a foot fetish is when you're kind of thinking of the foot in isolation to the rest of the body, mm-hmm. the whole gestalt of the thing or the person becomes irrelevant because the foot is an object that has now got sexual properties so that's what fetishization Mm -hmm. is and i think commercialization is basically fetishization because it's all like 
We have to brand ourselves. We have to take part of ourselves and put it in and turn it into an object to be consumed. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's a kind of fetishization as well. So that is a public facing art too, I guess, but, <laughs> but it's refreshing. Yeah. And constantly feel like you're being consumed. And I think I got burnt out feeling like I was just being consumed and not loved or appreciated or or feeling like anyone had any kind of curiosity about me or any desire to just know me at all. I just always felt like I was just kind of being consumed and then thrown away or like even passed around. Um, I had one horrible experience. I think I was like 23 or 24 and I had kind of become friends with this like friend group of I'm using the word friend really loosely. It was just like kind of party people, bar hoppers, party goers. They weren't like actual friends. When you wanted something to do on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, you would just text one of them and there'd be some party to go to kind of thing. And one night I went to one of their house parties and one of the guys there was flirting with me really hard. He was cute, cute enough. And I think we just made out or something like that. Not in front of anyone. I think we were like in a bathroom or something and made out for a little bit. And then I went home and then I think the next couple days, there's another house party at the same place. And one of his roommates was flirting with me really hard. Um, Didn't realize he had a girlfriend, which I found out about that the following morning. Um, That was a party. I definitely stayed the night because I drank. And I made out with him. Again, it wasn't like we didn't go super far. We just made out. I didn't sleep with him or anything like that. But everyone was too drunk to go home. So we all ended up just like staying the night in the living room. And then his girlfriend showed up in the morning with breakfast tacos for him. And I'm like, oh, we made out for like three hours. Interesting. That sucked. So the following weekend, same house, same party. And the guy that owned the house was roommates with the two other guys. Okay. The three of them. So the two guys I had made out with the week before and then the guy that owns the house. The next time I went to that house party, he was all over me the entire night. Like, I feel like I I more than feel like I know that these two roommate friend guys had talked about me to him. And I don't know all what they said because I didn't sleep with these guys. We just made out. But I think they kind of went to him and told him about me told him maybe I was like an easy target or I was easy or something like that so at this third party the the owner of the house that guy he was all over me all night any if I went to the bathroom he was right behind me I had to push him out of the bathroom so I could actually use the bathroom because I wasn't going in there to like make out with anyone I just wanted to fucking pee He would follow me all around the house. If I went outside to talk on my phone, he was right behind me. 
If I was making myself a drink, he was right behind me, putting his hands all over my hips, touching me all over. And I kept moving away from him. And he kept just following me everywhere. And it kind of made me freeze up. At that time, I still didn't really, I wasn't confident in my voice. I wasn't very outspoken then. And I didn't want to be rude. I was always taught in this whole toxic pretty culture bullshit. You don't upset a man. You don't embarrass a man. You don't tell a man no because it's going to bruise his ego and it's disrespectful. So I just kind of like politely would move away from him or like move his hand off of me or. And he's doing this in front of all these people and like no one seems to be clocking that I am so uncomfortable. I'm feeling so unsafe and I'm, I'm so bothered. No one clocked that. And I couldn't speak up for myself in that moment. And so the end of the night is near. I am so sober at this point. I don't, I was too uncomfortable to drink too much, but my ride was super drunk and passed out. This is before Lyft and Uber were a thing. This house is in the middle of fucking nowhere. So there's no like walking or taking the bus anywhere. And I didn't drive my own car. So I ended up having to stay the night there. If I was any closer to the city, I would have just tried to walk to my apartment, but I was literally 20 miles away from home. There was no way. So everyone's super wasted. People were doing drugs, like pass the fuck out. I'm sober and like, oh, what am I going to do? I want to not be here because this man is all over me. And everyone's passed out except for me and him, of course. And he grabs me by the wrist pulls me into his bedroom, slams the door behind him, pushes me up against the door, and no amount of saying no stopped him at all. That's And I was scared that if I actually, like, fought him off of me, that it would be worse. There's that fear of, like, when someone tries to violate you by force, you kind of go into survival mode and like okay do i fight and get real like hit or punched or or do i just let it happen and hopefully it won't be as bad so that happened repeatedly the entire night until the morning he would not let me sleep if i tried to get out of the bed he would pull me back in the bed i couldn't even go to the bathroom to pee Held me hostage in his room the entire night. And then in the morning, acted like I didn't even exist, which was fine. <laughs> I didn't need anything from him in the morning, but completely discarded me in the morning. And like, didn't make eye contact with me. It was completely done. And I was in shock, in shock, exhausted, in pain, so upset. And my friend, who was my roommate at the time, uh, I wake her up and I pull her in the bathroom and I tell her what happened. And she gets mad at me and is like, that's so unfair, Roxy. He didn't hurt you. Come on. You guys were all over each other all night. I remember. God. Yeah. And I'm like, you remember him being all over me all night and me running away from him all night? She's like, well, didn't you make out with his roommates? Come on, Rock. This is not fair. Come on. You're going to ruin this for everybody. 
He's the only one of us that owns a house and he lets us stay here all the time, buys all the oh, come on, Roxy. That's horrible. And just knowing that I had this like cute makeout moment with this one guy and this other guy, and that turned into, oh yeah, Roxy will fuck you. Yeah, just go for her. She's easy. I know that must have been what the conversation was. And that ended up in me being absolutely tortured for like eight hours straight, trapped in this bedroom with this fucking monster with my roommate on the other side of the door, passed the fuck out. And then when I go to her to tell her what happened, she doesn't even believe me. She's she's mad at me. Mad at me. Because I was seen as like some kind of whore. And how dare I be selective and like not be okay with him fucking me like that was kind of the vibe that I got from her so I didn't report it to the police I didn't I didn't do anything about it um she told other people that were at the house that night like she was really pissed at me what kind of a friend is this no no no, not a friend she told other people that were at the party so everyone kind of hated me and said I was making up a rape story to try to get their friend in trouble and she moved out like a couple weeks later after that which is for the best we didn't like fight about it she had the response she had to me and I just kind of like I I didn't fight her on I didn't even know I didn't I that had never happened to me before and I had in my mind while I didn't fight him I let it happen, so maybe it wasn't rape. I said no, but I didn't say no enough. And, you know, I didn't punch him. I didn't shove him. I didn't scream. So was it really rape? Maybe she has the right to be mad at me. Maybe I am just being dramatic. And, like, it took a while to realize that, like, no, that was actually rape, and I was tortured for eight hours straight. And I didn't, I didn't understand that her response to me was actually absolutely heinous and the fact that I like rationalized it in my mind that I was in the wrong and like rationalized in my mind that there's some kind of fine line when it comes to rape like no there is no fine line when it comes to rape when you say no and that person doesn't listen and keeps going that is rape or even if you agree to it and stop in the middle and they don't stop or if you say no in the middle of the act and they don't stop that's still rape Mm -hmm. but I had convinced myself that like I was in the wrong somehow so that was one of a couple experiences I've had with rape by force but I feel like a lot of experiences before and a lot after were deceptive or coercive and it took until god I want to say like right around the time where I got diagnosed with autism where I was wondering am I just asexual I don't enjoy sex with anyone I dissociate during I don't experience orgasm during sex and I thought maybe I'm maybe I'm asexual. Maybe I don't even I don't know. Maybe I just don't want that at all. 
And then I thought, well, no, because I enjoy self-pleasure. So maybe I'm autosexual because I still experience those urges, but I'm totally fine when it's just me. <laughs> but sex with other people, sex with men or women, I'm not there. I, I just I'm just not there. So then I thought maybe I'm demisexual because I love emotional intimacy intimacy so much and I experience sexual attraction really intensely when there's a deep emotional mental emotional connection but then I'm like I rarely experience that with men if ever I don't actually don't think I've ever experienced that with men but I'm attracted to both men and I'm attracted to humans as long as there's like uh emotional intimacy established but what I'm learning now is that it's not that I'm asexual, autosexual, demisexual. It's not any of that. I identify as pansexual because I'm attracted to humans. If I like you and you're a human, it's on. <laughs> like, basically, like, genitals don't matter to me as much. But it's the fact that I just don't feel safe with anyone. Like, being physically intimate, I don't feel safe enough with anyone to enjoy it. Which is why I leave my body, which is why I'm not present, which is why I don't orgasm, which is why none of the things work and I just mask and fake it. And I'm I'm a Oscar level faker, Oscar level. <laughs> the amount of men that think they have absolutely rocked my world and they haven't even come close, like, you're welcome. There's your gift thinking that you rocked my world when I wasn't even wasn't even there, dude, wasn't even present for it. So now I'm kind of like coming to terms with what my actual sexual identity identity is, what I'm actually attracted to, what rape actually is, what feeling safe and unmasked in my body, what any, I don't, I haven't really experienced safe, unmasked sex with anyone. I don't know if I ever will, because I don't even know if I want to like dip my toes back in that at all. But I've never felt safe enough with anyone during sex because I've I've been raped repeatedly by more than one person. And a lot of my sexual experiences outside of relationships have been really coercive or deceptive. And it doesn't help being autistic and not being able to, like, read between every line and pick up on every neurotypical weird kind of lying round roundabout social cue. And I think a lot of autistic women can relate to to not being able to pick up on all the like neurotypical nuance around modern dating and sex. Like when a guy says, let's hang out. We don't have to do anything. Like we don't have to have sex, which I've heard a lot throughout my life. Like, first of all, why are you saying that we don't? I fucking know we don't have to have sex. What are you talking about? But then you get there and there's supposed to be some kind of unspoken understanding that you're supposed to have sex, even though the whole part of the invite was don't feel any pressure to have sex. And then you get there and they're all over you. Like, I feel like a, I've heard a lot of stories of autistic women being caught in that trap of 
thinking that a guy you really like and are friends with and is safe and you can have non-sexual touch and you can have a good time just being in their presence and there's not going to be any sexual pressure and then you get there and there's all sorts of sexual pressure and then maybe you don't know how to say no or maybe you freeze up and can't say no which trauma plays into that i i posted about sex or um rape by coercion and rape by deception on my tiktok before and there were guys in my comments judging me and judging other women in my comments are saying well if you don't enjoy it you should be saying no and that's fucked up you're leading them on but by not saying no or something fucked up like that like they don't understand that sometimes a trauma response is to freeze yeah there's a huge amount of social pressure and and things can turn really ugly really quickly and it doesn't have to be that you know the track record of some individual guy, again, statistically, because it's about, it's like a game. And if people lose a game, they'll throw a fit like a toddler. And if they're physically larger than you, or even if they're not, mm-hmm. that can be really scary. And sometimes trouble. saying no to a guy is life or death. Yeah. So... It's really gross for Allie to say anything that we've done or said is akin to rape, to raping her, raping her reputation. Like, it's so gross for her to try to make that weird connection in some way. And this is very real and really traumatic. And so many autistic women have stories like mine worse than mine and i don't i don't know it's just it's when you research sexual assault among autistic women some of the stories are so all of the stories are so fucking heartbreaking and there's so much nuance to it and some of the discourse around it is so victim blamey and just doesn't understand autistic brains, doesn't understand compat, doesn't understand toxic purity culture and how that can play into things. And toxic purity culture absolutely seeps into just American culture in general. It's patriarchy. It's not just Christianity. Toxic purity culture is patriarchy. Absolutely. And colonization. Yeah. Toxic purity culture is whiteness. It's it's so many things outside of just the church. Yeah. And to see Allie's YouTube clips of her talking about us violating her and like touching her body and it just it made me sick to my stomach because I have all of these experiences and all of this trauma and a lot of it has to do with me continuing to understand my not just my sexuality but understanding my autism and reprocessing so many traumatic events throughout my life it was just a slap in the face and really nauseating to see her talk about that yeah it is it was sickening and I was like a little bit um in silence there just because of that uh 
just because of this entire subject matter, it is very um, difficult to talk about. And I think a lot of times people are encouraged not to talk about it at all, rather than to deal with it and the prevalence of it. And so just thank you for sharing that. It's incredibly vulnerable and really brave. Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxtthepodcast.com.